you could say something like this. Look, I know there's a hundred Chardonnays that you could be pouring by the glass, but if you pour mine by the glass, I'll make two promises to you. It will always come in at the price I've quoted you, never anything different. And I will personally make sure you don't ever run out of stock. Man, that's not very sexy, right? And you don't need a master psalm certification to promise those two things. But man, that is how the game is really won. That's what really matters. Hi, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey, and Weed Show. In this episode, I chat with Ben Salisbury, who has been in the drinks industry for 34 years and has also worked as the vice president of national accounts for Constellation Brands U.S. Market and St. Michelle Wine Estates. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sid. Thanks for having me. Super. So I think, uh, you know, we both uh, have met uh, a lot of times before and you, ha- you have been our speaker as well at the Bulk Wine Show and as also at you know, the New York show. Uh, I do believe in your philosophy where, you know, uh, these days everyone have to do their own sales. And, you know, if you really don't care about your own uh, destiny, uh, distributors are not really going to carry your product. So let's dive uh, into this. And, you know, we just want to create some value on how uh, wineries, breweries and distilleries can think about sales and uh, where they can get, you know, uh, where they can plan their uh, effective sales strategies, right? So uh, let's let's just go a little tactical. What's your you know ideal sales process uh, like then for a winery? Uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great question because uh, there it's a very complicated process and everybody tries to make it more simple than it is. And I guess there is a simple way to look at it. But we're the fact is we're dealing with the most complex consumer product category in the world. Uh, it requires a, a certain level of education, etc. But I think that when I look about look at the sales process, I think about um, two things: who to sell to, and how how to sell to them. So if you did want to take a sales process and distill it into simple simple things, to me those are the two most important: who to sell to, and how to sell to them. And I'm happy to kind of dive into that a little deeper if you think it will. Absolutely. So basically, uh, who is sort of like, you know, database management and sort of, you know, qualifying prospects and things of that nature, I believe, and how is sort of, uh, you know, how to propose and prepare for each prospect? Yeah, I think that you've got, it used to be a wide and thin distribution strategy was good. You wanted lots of people using your product. It's just not possible to achieve that uh, in the hyper competitive environment. So you're actually better served uh, narrowing your focus and doing some homework. So when I talk about who to sell to, who to sell to, I'm think, talking about researching and thinking deeply about the ideal customer for your product, and putting in the homework and the research to create target lists of accounts. So narrowing your fo- narrowing your focus to the highest probability prospects will serve you really well. Uh, whether you're a large team or a small team, it's just a smart way to do business in this hyper-competitive environment. So. Um, knowing where to fish, you know, fishing where the fish are, knowing who is the ideal customer for your product, that will save you a lot of trouble and it will increase your your uh, probability of success, your conversion rates, your closing ratio, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of people skip over that step. A lot of people skip over the how to, uh, who to sell to, and they just go right to the how to sell. And, and that is the other big 
area of improvement. But don't you think like beggars can't be choosers sort of thing? Like, you know, you try, you, you just have those 50 distributors who you think are the right fit. But then when you run out of that, you just sort of, you know, whoever gives me uh, that purchase order and it's a new distributor, you just sort of uh, end up there. The process of selecting distributors is, you know, we could do a whole podcast just on that topic, but it begins with the the realization that just because you have a distributor doesn't mean you're going to sell product. So yeah, you want to have a good distributor that pays their bills and has good market coverage and is a good fit for your product. But at the end of the day, you still have to make the sales, you and your team. You cannot rely on the distributor to make the sale for you. So when you were talking about a sales process, I thought you were talking about um, the sales process for calling on accounts, you know, making new distribution, because that is the new reality. You have to do that yourself. The best you can hope from the distributors that they'll match your efforts. But uh, as a general rule, distributors are not able to sell like they used to. They're just too overwhelmed. They have too many products in their book. Mm -hmm. So basically, you, you for sure need uh, like an in-house market work person, even if you are like a winery, right? You have to have one person on the ground who sort of opens up some retail accounts, works with the distributor, and moves the wine, uh, you know, uh, on their own strengths. That's right. And a good rule of thumb is unless you're prepared to put your own person on the ground at least once a quarter in that particular state, you shouldn't be in that state. And what a huge mistake, a huge mistake to assign a distributor to a state and expect them to sell. Let's say you're, you're based in New York and that's where your offices are and you, you find a distributor in Texas and you're very excited about your new distributor partner. If you don't go to Texas, at least or someone doesn't go to Texas at least once a quarter, you can expect zero sales in the state of Texas. What's the best method uh, to approach and find these distributors? Like, you know, apart from Google, uh, are there any sources or databases uh, which you can shine some light on or, you know, purely cold calling works? Uh, what, what, what do you think is the most effective thing here on asking for a meeting? Well, uh, searching for distributors is not necessarily my area of expertise, but I... I have worked for distributors and called them many distributors. So I will just say that the most important, the most important thing is you've got to pre-sell some of the major customers in that market and then go talk to distributors. If you haven't pre-sold, if you don't have orders in hand, order commitments in hand, you're going to waste a lot of time talking to distributors. There's just so few. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah, this and a lot of times even retailers would just recommend you, right? That, hey, you know, I, I'll buy from this guy. It, and I think, I think way too much emphasis is placed on what the distributor can and can't do. Way too much. It sets you up. It sets you up for a trap. So if you're an importer or you're a brand owner, a wine brand owner, you must have a reality check that all the distributor is going to do for you is warehouse your product and ship it to the stores that you've sold. If you start with that, if you start with that, it's not nearly as critical what distributor you have. Uh, what becomes most critical is does the distributor pay their bills? That's really the, the major thing. Sure, you I was just going to say that. Yep. So I think there's too much emphasis placed on distributors. And I could tell you story after story after story where people invested a lot of money and time running around the country looking for the perfect distributor, assigning distributors, and then having zero sales. And they're like, what happened? And it really wasn't about selecting the right distributor or not. It was about expectations about what a distributor can and can't do for you. That's really the key. Agreed. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to mix and mix and match a little bit. Obviously, you know, uh, retail is also uh, 
main thing here. I mean, you got to open up more accounts. You got to pitch national accounts if you are aiming for the pull. You know, if you're trying to build a national brand. So, uh, what what's what's your ideal sales team? You know, for a winery, let's say, which includes everything, right? Distributors getting more retail accounts, national. You know, what are those three or four best hires you can do in building your sales team? Yeah, I love this question because I do spend a lot of time on coaching uh, wine companies and distilleries how to get the most out of their sales team. And I, so this is something I've thought deeply about. Um, the, one of the keys here is, and this is, this is fairly new way of thinking, but selling wine or spirits has, has changed so much that it requires different roles. So I like to look at it this way. You need one type of person who can manage the distributor network, shipping, inventory, pricing, programming, uh, unsaleables, all, you know, kick new, new product launches, somebody who can handle managing distributors. I, I like to call that person the distributor business unit manager. It requires a completely different skill than selling. You also need someone who can, uh, for lack of a better term, call them a business development manager, a street person, someone on the street, personally selling, building new distribution. And I think a modern sales team would have a ratio of one for every one distributor manager type person. You have three people on the street. So if you're, and you, you shouldn't expand to new markets until you have the, the people to do that. So that's one is the structure of the sales team. The idea that you would have a person manage distributors and get on the street and sell, that's really a relic of the past. It's not really very viable today. Because since the distributor, you're not going to be selling through the efforts of the distributor nearly as much as you used to. You're going to be doing your own selling. So the function of managing distributors, taking care of inventory and, and uh, pricing and programming, it, it becomes a different function. But when it comes to your actual salespeople, what to look for, you know, how to hire them, the onboarding process, the training process, uh, this, this is very much in need of, a, of an update in our industry as well. In the old days, you would hire you would hire somebody based on how how well liked they were at the distributor or how many relationships that they had at the distributor. Those things don't hold nearly as much value as they used to. Today is modern sales. True, and especially you see a lot of wine buyers as as, as coming into sales, right? Because just because they have their friends working as sommeliers or things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a whole new a whole new day. So I'm, I am doing some recruiting right now uh, for a national sales leader and these are some of the things we're looking for and first of all i should say this too sid if you want to have a high performing sales team you must hire high performers you cannot train or motivate a mediocre salesperson to being a high performing salesperson you the, the whole process starts with the hiring you have to know what to look look for and how to screen for that and ironically it has often has very little to do with you know, classic selling skills like overcoming objections and making presentations that has very little to do with actual or why not yeah why knowledge yeah people put too much those things are important but but too much emphasis on them and not enough emphasis on business acting is going to leave you wanting so that's that's number one is you've got to hire the right people um, I already mentioned that you need to have two different types of people but I, I'll, I'll just give you the answers to the test here when I hire sales leaders or sales people, 
I'm looking for three things, three non-negotiables. And all of my screening efforts, all of my interviewing efforts are, are intended to ferret out and to bring this to the surface. Does, does the person have these things or not? These three things or not? One, they got to be a hardworking self-starter. They have to get out of bed every day and get after it because they want to. And that's how they roll. Not because somebody's holding a carrot out for them or threatening them. Number two, they've got to be super organized. And kind of what goes with that is being tech savvy. A salesperson today must be super organized and they need to know how to use technology to do it, which is why CRM systems are so important. A CRM keeps you uh, organized. I like to say that the, the key to sales success is great follow-up. And the key to great follow-up is CRM. And so you really must have organized people who are committed to using technology to help them stay organized. And then the third thing I look for is, are they committed to self-improvement? One of my favorite interview questions is, tell me about the last two or three books you read about professional sales expertise. And, and name, name, a couple of, name a couple of the ones that just came out that seem to be on everybody's desk. If they can't name those books, and boy, God. Yeah, I like that question. I, true. That shows that how interested they are truly in self-learning and improving their skill, right? Yes. So I like to hold up Daniel Pink's book, To Sell as Human. If you have not heard of or read Daniel Pink's book, To Sell as Human, in the last year or two, I'm going to be really, I'm probably going to pass on you. Now, if you, if you haven't read it and you say you're busy, whatever, if you're at least open to it, that, that might save your butt. But Man, if you're not feed, if you're not feeding your mind the latest and greatest thinking about sales success in this in these modern times, then there's no place for you on our team. Tell me one thing, Ben. Uh, what's what's your take on beer industry versus spirits industry versus the wine industry? Personally, I think beer people uh, are much more customer service oriented in selling, and more service is the focus, and account is the focus. What's your take on? Like, where do you find a better uh, pull of uh, sales reps? Well, first of all, I could not agree with you more. I totally agree. There's a level of customer service. And by the way, I think the key to sales success is service, dependability, and trust, not wine knowledge or distributor relationships. That's the key. And so, yes, the beer, especially the big beer companies, they have this all over. They're also very uh, into efficiency and not wasting time and being as organized as they possibly can. The beer industry has that over wine and spirits and spades. Wine people are hopelessly in love with the product, and they, they can't wait for the chance to talk about the attributes of the product, which is a huge trap, and it keeps them from being successful. Uh, to me, one of the biggest demar demarcations is the generational thing, because if, if you're like me, I'm going to be 60 years old this year. I came up in an era of the 80s and 90s when the distributor was the center of the universe. Your ability to motivate and train a distributor was what was most valuable. But if, if that's how you came up in the business and you still think that's how to do it, that's, you're going to be in big trouble. I'm looking for people who are, do not already have these bad habits or these mindsets to understand that it's, you know, it's about bringing real value to the business relationship, not just you know, putting together great incentive for the distributor, which is probably a whole other podcast. But but that, so walk, walk us through the five questions, let's say, in hiring, you know, just, just for the audience. Like, what are some good sales questions for hiring a rep? Yeah, and I, I'm not so sure if it's so much questions as it is what the questions lead to. For example, I want people to demonstrate to me how they solve problems. Because I think having a, an, you know, being a self-sufficient problem solver 
is what I'm looking for. So I'll ask lots of questions that will help demonstrate whether or not they've solved problems. For example, tell me about a really challenging problem and how you solved it. Tell me about another one. And then as they're telling me, I'm thinking of other questions to ask them to go deeper on that. You know, resourcefulness is so much more valuable to me in a sales role than wine knowledge. I'll go through, I'll go through an entire interview and not talk about wine knowledge. That stuff can be taught. And I'm not diminishing people who have achieved certifications. I mean, I, I don't have the palate to do that. I have an undying respect for people who receive, the, receive those certifications. I do. But in a sales role, they're not nearly as important as these other things. So back to your five questions. You know, I want to know all about how their problem-solving skills. I want them to demonstrate to me how they stay organized. We're going to talk a lot about how you stay organized. Open your calendar. Show me the calendar you use. Show me how you follow, do follow-up. I want to see it, you know. Uh, or at least you describe it in detail how you how you do follow up, uh, you know things like that. Another another thing is, but if you if you know what it is you're looking for, right, and and that list of what you're looking for is what's required for sales success, then the interview selection process is all about digging deep to make sure this person possesses it. Like if you give someone a list of the qualities that you're looking for, they're going to tell you they have all those qualities. That's just the nature of of interview. So you have to be willing to go deeper and, and uncover. By the way, uh, being organized uh, is, a, is a good example of this. Uh, it's great to say you're organized. I want you to prove to me beyond a shadow of a doubt during this interview that you are uh, the most organized person that you know and that this is how you stay organized and this is the, these are the books you read and these are the systems you use and this is your commitment to continue, continue self-improvement, that sort of thing. You know, it's worth, it's worth noting, Sid, I have hired and trained more than 30 salespeople, high-performing salespeople in my career. I led very successful, very large national sales teams. So I amassed quite a bit of experience at identifying what a good, a good salesperson looks like. Now, not everyone has that. And so if, if you don't, you're going to have to get some training on how to hire well. And you're going to, uh, I advise companies, especially if you have a, an HR department, to avail yourself of HR support because they do know how to assess for, for talent. But it is so worth putting in the time up front so you start off with great salespeople uh, instead of trying to you know, convert or improve mediocre salespeople. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things that I have been noticing in the industry, like I was a wholesaler in the state of Delaware and New Jersey as well. Like I had my own wholesale business. And I remember, uh, you know, people who walked in with an experience, let's say if they worked in a competitor wholesaler, you know, that would be like a goal, right? You want to take them because they have the accounts. So a lot of emphasis is uh, put on accounts. Like, you know, okay, you know, 80 accounts, you know, 800 accounts, you get this much, you know, 200 accounts, you get this much. So literally, you know, apart from anything else, you know, it's, it's like getting existing business. So distributors get so much uh, impatient, I would say, you know, when they see an experienced uh, rep walking in, all they're thinking is, oh, I, I'm going to get 200 new accounts. What's, what's your uh, thought on that? How long will, you know, that can work or, or it's just not worth pursuing those kind of things? You, make sure I understand your question. You're talking about the value of a salesperson having the right contacts versus somebody who doesn't so have the contacts? Let, let, me, let me tell you, right? So, so what I'm saying is, let's say you are an average uh, person you know you don't really are like you're not amazing as per your interview but what you have is 200 retail accounts that you know personally because you worked at another distributor 
but you got fired from that place. I see. Yeah. So now uh, I'm going to take you on board because you have 200 amazing accounts that I can add to my book. Yeah. Okay. That's so I'm instead of a a analyzing you, I'm thinking 200 accounts and I'm putting a yeah. price on that account instead of, you know, Okay, this is a great. So 80% yeah. of the hiring is this, to be honest. Yeah. This is what's happening in our industry. No, you are so right. Um, and this is a great question. So I will tell you, as a hiring manager, I'm much less interested in your context as I am your work habits and the way you conduct business and the value you so bring. So you've seen that trends? Like you've seen seen it not work Oh, in, in people just quitting in three, four months? Well, I'm not so sure I would say that it doesn't work. I would just say it's very widely used i mean the two things people look for are your account relationships and your distributor relationships and they think okay i'm golden and uh, there's a lot of rigor that is missing from the the sales process and I, I let me just back up to say one one thing the selling wine and spirits today is so much different than it was even six seven years ago but very few people have been paying attention to it. And so they're still clinging to what used to work. And my, my constant drumbeat is to pay attention to how much has changed, exactly what has changed, and then adjust to it. And so what you're talking about is the perfect example of how to adjust to it. What, I'm, what I want to find are people who are, are organized hard workers who know how to bring real business value and customer service to the relationship. I care far less about the, their current contacts because for all I know, they've got great contacts, but they're not great. They don't, the quality of those relationships isn't as great as it could be. And if they're acting really transactional, like always talking about the product, pitching, 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 you don't want that kind of salesperson anyway, no matter how many contacts they have, because that's not going to lead you to success today. You used to, back when there were equal number of distributors and suppliers and wineries in the U.S., you could spend more time talking about the products. Like, the attributes of the product was what you were trying to convince the, the buyer to appreciate. That, that isn't the case anymore. You know, you can, any buyer anywhere can find out anything they want about any wine with a few clicks of a mouse. The idea that a salesperson would be, have to sit there and explain the attributes of the product is a giant waste of time. So there's a big shift. There's a big shift that needs to take place in our industry. And it's away from product attributes and selling, you know, what we consider classic selling, uh, presenting and overcoming objections and closing. Those things are, are quite dead. And instead, instead, you're, so what? What? What do they? Yeah, exactly. So let let give us what do they include in their pitch yeah. today? So this is another great topic, and I like to use the on-premise channel to illustrate this because um, it most people really miss the mark by quite a bit. So if it's not about product knowledge and persuasion, right, and selling skills and relationships, then what is it about? Well, first of all, it's about bringing real business value to the relationship. So you have to step outside of what it is you need to sell and you have to understand your customers. So restaurants is a great place to start. Every restaurant wants three things. All over the world, they want the same three things. One, grow revenue. Two, control costs. And three, improve guest satisfaction. How is your wine going to help me achieve one or more of those things? That's what you need to be able to be highly skilled at. And so here, here's, an, here's an example of that. Um, if you're bringing me wines in a category that's hot, uh, I know that my guests are going to be pleased with that. If you bring me something that is really a really great value, that's good for me when I present it to my guests. You know, improving guest satisfaction is about that quality value relationship. It's also about, you know, being on trend. 
So understanding the trends, helping your customers sell more to their customers, these are the skills that are, that are required. Uh, and don't ever underestimate how much dependability and trust factors into the equation. Uh, I like to use this illustration a lot too, Sid. It's not so much, everybody wants a great price, okay? But lowering the price to make a sale is a, is a bad idea because that, the sale you make that way will never really stick because somebody else can come in with a lower price. But if you take that out of the equation, if you, if you approach it in a way that says, well, price is only an issue in the absence of value and the value is my dependability, you could say something like this. Look, I know there's 100 Chardonnays that you can be pouring by the glass, but if you pour mine by the glass, I'll make two promises to you. It will always come in at the price I've quoted you, never anything different, and I will personally make sure you don't ever run out of stock. Man, that's not very sexy, right? And you don't need a Master Psalm certification to promise those two things, but man, that is how the game is really won. That's what really matters. Because if they take the time, the restaurant... If the restaurant takes the time to turn their guests onto that Chardonnay and they love it and they buy it, the worst thing that can happen is for you to run out of stock. So committing, committing to the service after the sale is far more important than these other qualities. So I want to point your, I want to point your listeners to a great resource. One of my favorite books on selling is written by Jeff Toole, T-H-U-L-L. He wrote a book called Mastering the Complex Sale. And he determined, he defines a complex sale as multiple decision makers that, and this decision takes place over a long period of time. But all the principles in the book apply to any situation, even one person selling to, to one restaurant. But he has, in this book, he has a process, a four-step process. And he places a really high value on certain uh, qualities of the salesperson and, and much fewer values on others. And all of this, all of this kind of informs my philosophy of this. If you're a winery or owner or brand owner and you're listening to this podcast, if you're a spirits or beer owner or brand manager, somebody responsible for the success of the brand, I implore you to get this book, also Daniel Pink's book, because the times have changed. You must change with them. What's the title of Daniel Pink's book? Oh, To Sell as Human. To Sell as Human. Okay. Well, one of my favorite quotes from uh, To Sell as Human is, in a world where anybody can find anything with just a few keystrokes, intermediaries like salespeople are superfluous. I love that quote. It really kind of fixes in your mind what's important. Key to sales success is bringing real business value, not persuade, not being a good yep. persuader. So in order to... Absolutely. I was just going to uh, say when you said, you know, the three things that restaurants... Uh, uh, you can pitch them. I was I was going to say sometimes, you know, when I was selling wine, I used to literally promise them, hey, I'm going to give you new customers. Forget about anything else. I'll create a walkthrough traffic for you. So, you know, you know, when you can do a lot of things like you can do a pop up somewhere and say, OK, my wines are going to be available in this store now uh, coming this Monday. Go and ask and use this coupon or whatever. Yep, that's another great example of how to bring real business value. And you need to be educated about how how to do it, um, more, how can you bring in more foot traffic? How can you get more people ordering wine or more expensive wines? How can you get them to upsell? Um, but upsell in a, in a real high value way, not just, hey, you know, you know, the, you know, the old used car sales pitch. The, I don't like to see waiters use it. I don't like to see, see wine salespeople use those things. You know, so you've really got to understand. Well, 
there's a lot of great information available now, uh, and your, your company's putting out lots of great content, so people don't have to look very far. But imagine if you were a sales rep bringing, and you brought to a restaurant buyer. Once a week, you just brought like kind of the headlines of the week of what's happening in the world of wine. You know, what's happening with the tariffs? tariffs? What's happening with bulk wine? Are prices going to go up or down and why? And you, you bring them these just little digestible one-page bites of information. You did that every single week. You are bringing it's value super to that. Super idea. I think. Yeah, I think th let me just pause there. That, that's a super idea, guys. You know, if you are a sales rep, you should have a little roundup of weekly news, what's going on in trade in the local market, and your retailers or your customers would love it. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, fantastic. You're bringing value to the business relationship. Another thing is... So and salespeople love gossips, right? So, and retailers want to know what's going on and you can just put it as news. That's right. And it's, they, they don't have time. If you're running a restaurant, you do not have time to do your own research. So if somebody brings me reliable, objective research that just gives me little sound bites about what's going on, it makes me, it makes me smarter. Another thing is social media. Like even if someone else's brand, I would love to know which is the fastest growing brand in my state right now. Yeah. And even just walking, just even in your, you know, most salespeople are probably in and out of about 10, 12 accounts a day, right? Three, four days a week. They see a lot of things, but they walk right by and they, they should be taking pictures, making notes. Wow, I've been in three stores today and that's the, fir that's the third, you know, um, uh, Tarantas display I've seen. What's going on with Tarantas? And you go back and you start looking around. So just having your eyes and ears open and because the, the objective is to be a source of business advantage to your customers. And so with that lens, that lens on, you're going to go right to the top of the list of salespeople that call on that account. And I, I started to mention... Again, I'm a big fan of like this, the big companies, right, Ben? Like there is a reason why Gallo is Gallo. You know, they play the marketing game. I mean, one should just see how they do it. One should see how the Budweiser's and the Miller's do it. Just learn uh, the tricks of the trade and then apply. Absolutely. So here's a great, <laughs> along those lines, here's a, here's a great... Let's look over the shoulder of a great salesperson of 2020, and the conversation might go something like this. You know, the restaurant says, you know, is Moscato, is that trend going to stay? Is it a fad? Uh, I don't know what to do. And should I have one or should I have two? And if I just have one, what price tier should I have uh, for my Moscato? These are the things that go through a buyer's mind. They're not, they're not, you know, it's, they wanted it's like category management information how many moscatos what price tiers does it have to be italian you know these are the things you need to be ready to answer questions about do i really need three chiantis and if i do have three should they be in this price tier this tier this tier you know being a great category manager you don't have to have you don't have to be calling on walmart or kroger to be a great category manager you can do it from wherever you are just pay attention and read yep read what's going on every day true Cool. So let's let's go into uh, you know coaching. Uh, let's say you have your current team. You want to improve the performance. You know how uh, how would you coach them? How would you motivate them? What kind of uh, training modules you would cover just to you know pump them up and increase your sales from your current team? Yeah. Well, uh, again, you can't really motivate salespeople. That's a bit of a myth. You got to hire the right people. But coach, but coaching you can. And so here's some quick tips, some practical tips you can use right away about coaching. You know, we just watched the Super Bowl last month, right? Why, with all that talent on the field, why would you need coaches, right? You need talented people. Talented people still need coaching. The best thing you can do to coach your salespeople is help them be disciplined in the use of their time. Watch out for them wasting time on low-value activities. Watch out for them being inefficient. 
it's not a, it's not about how much time they work. It's about how smart they work. So that takes coaching. You also need to coach them to keep their focus narrow. Constantly put the 80-20 rule in front of them. Constantly coach them. The 80-20 rule is real, and you ignore it to your peril. Not all accounts are equal. So narrow the focus. Keep your focus narrow on the accounts that are going to make a really big difference. That takes coaching. Sales, salespeople will not do that on their own in general. Um, and you have to coach them on how to be a source of business advantage. For the last 10 minutes, you and I have been talking about how to be a source of business advantage to your customers. A lot of times that knowledge comes from the sales leader, coaching the team. What are you reading? You know, when I was a, uh, a vice president of National Accounts for Constellation, we had a weekly team meeting, and it was roughly 30, 45 minutes. But one of the things we closed our meeting with was a section called, What Are You Reading?, and we went around the horn asking people, what are you reading? What are you reading? We wanted to know what the sales team was feeding their heads. What are you reading? And people would say, well, this week I read a great book, or hey, I, I read this great article. We would foster a culture of continuous learning and continuous improvement on category management, on our industry, on the restaurant industry. One of the things that I encouraged my team to do was listen to the uh, uh, earnings reports of big publicly traded restaurant companies because there's so much learning Listen to the earnings reports for Walmart and for Target. Uh, there's just, this is where you pick up the lingo. You pick up. Can you, can you break me down? Like how how can you? What will you learn from let's say Kroger's earnings or Walmart's earnings? Yeah. Well, first of all, like what categories or how is the state of the union? Yeah. Well, they're very, these meetings are very good at distilling the most important things, and they put them right up front because most people don't sit in for the whole broadcast. And you can also get the transcripts. You can also get the transcripts. But if you want to know how to talk business and business priorities, listen to the earnings reports or read the transcripts and earnings reports. You pick up the vocabulary. You pick up the priorities. Here's a good example of this. Uh, in, a, in a restaurant environment, they talk a lot about same-store sales. They talk a lot about incidents, which is the number of people who ordered dessert or the number of people who ordered wine with their meal or the number of people who ordered more than one drink. They keep all this great data and statistics that have a meaningful impact to the financial performance of the company. So if you want to be a great business person in the beverage business, you pay attention to this kind of stuff. It's like a crash course on what's important to a restaurant or what's important to a retailer. You know, uh, today's modern salesperson should, have, should be very in tune with how Walmart views a successful product. They may never call in a Walmart, but what they can learn from listening to Walmart's view about what makes a successful product will apply to, to, to everything they're doing. And if you don't think small mom-and-pop liquor stores need those disciplines, they absolutely do. Same with restaurants. So be a, being a source of business advantage, this is one of the ways to get that. And back to your coaching example, this is a, one of the jobs of a sales leader is to, is to coach people to do these things. They're not going to do it on their own. They, they just need coaching and, and reminding. Got it. So, Ben, uh, you know, we're just coming uh, to, to the end. Uh, any uh, tips, any closing remarks you have uh, for the brand owners and the wineries, uh, distilleries, breweries on sort of uh, going back in the battlefield with, you know, more empowerment? Uh, yeah, just a couple of quick closing thoughts. One is you must recognize that we're in a brand new era, uh, different from even six, seven years ago. That's step one. You've got to stand up, look around and recognize what's different and then ask yourself, have we adapted? Have we changed? Because if you're still doing things the same way you did 10 years ago, you're going to lose. It's just too competitive. Times have changed. It calls for new strategies. And one, one thing you didn't ask that I had in my notes that I want to make sure I mentioned is that uh, it's the old catch-22, right? You want to 
you need sales to justify a, a distributor carrying you or being a viable product to the market, but you, you have to get those first sales to begin with. I think the key to this, the key to this is getting traction in a small number of well-chosen accounts. And that's back to that research of target accounts. Get some traction in a few well-chosen accounts and then slowly expand from there. Don't be looking for the home run over the fence. Lots of singles and doubles. That's what you, and that's totally within your control. You know, so those are just a couple of... Uh, Agreed. I'm a big fan of depletion. I think I yeah. truly believe that you know, it's, it's the game is in the third or the fourth order. Forget the first and the second, you know, let's aim for the fourth repeat order. That's right. And it's going to take a lot of work, your part, to make sure. So, so if you sell the right thing to the right product in the right way, and then you follow up, it's going to be hard for you to not be successful. Because then you just rinse and repeat.